As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show Weekend Review. We're looking back on a weekend where Arsenal's 100% record came to an end as Ten Hag's United start to transcend, where Liverpool and Everton ended even, and across the league, VAR gave us very little to believe in, where Milan had flair, Giroud had great hair, and Rafael Leal was everywhere, and the Derby de la Madonnina was an intense affair, a tense affair, a tense affair, <laughs> and where Bayern Munich could only draw, Robo were quite poor, and Glasgow Rangers were left feeling a a little sore by the Celtic Park score. My name's Ryan Bailey, giving up a sizable part of his Labour Day to join us today, a man who should be doing dad things outside right now, Taylor Rockwell. Have you been to Home Depot today? What time are you grilling out, Taylor? I mean, that, that might be happening later on this afternoon, but I was pretty pleased leaving the house when it was already like 86 degrees outside to not be doing manual labour in the yard. But credit to those who are, and credit to you, Ryan Bailey, for your... Uh, I'm going to assume... In, inspired by the Merseyside uh, Derby, going with the Merseyside accent. Is that what you're going with, with a fjord? I think I went to me Queenby in I can't quite tell what that oh, was, no. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you wearing white today, Taylor? It is Labor Day, or thereafter you're not allowed to wear white, I, I understand as the rules. Uh, I am not. I'm wearing a, a navy blue shirt that has uh, white cream cheese spilled on it from my daughter when I left for the day. So I guess in that way, I'm sort of honoring the holiday. No further questions, Your Honor. Also here, a man who is admired from Kiev to I went to, to hug her. She was eating a bagel with cream cheese on yeah. it. I didn't realize, as toddlers do, that she had cream cheese everywhere because that's how they eat. And so when I went to hug her, I got like, it's almost a comical like impression of a toddler because there was that much uh, stuff to be spilled. Taylor, you're a grown-up. If you spill some food on you, you could admit it was you, okay? <laughs> I, w- I will admit that I didn't notice it until I went to a store on the way to the office and then looked down to realize that I was covered in filth. This guy. Ah, uh, story of my life. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's admired from Kiev to Carlisle, Graham Rutherford. Would you care to explain that reference I just made? Yes, that is uh, a term that was used by our new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Uh, oh. She was ex- describing Boris Johnson and said that he is 
uh, admired from Kiev to or, or Kiev to uh, to Carlisle, notably started stopping short of the Scottish border, which felt quite apt because uh, finding some Boris Johnson fans in Scotland is 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 difficult, and it is certainly not Labour Day in the UK today. It's Tory Day. Every day has been Tory <laughs> Day for the past ten years. It feels like. I, I um, It is interesting, Graham, because Carlisle, as you know, is like a mile from the Scottish border, which is quite amusing. Uh, but also, if you did go from Kiev to Carlisle, I think you could go by air and not actually hit any of the UK until you get to Carlisle. So it's also quite accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, I feel like Liz Truss will say things that are not so accurate over the course of her premiership. Let's see how long that premiership lasts. But absolutely, it, was, it felt quite apt that she chose uh, Kiev and Carlisle. Indeed. Well, this isn't a political podcast. We are neutral. Uh, she's the worst. Let's move on. Uh, we had uh, plenty of incidents to talk about from this weekend. Um, much controversial refereeing. I don't know if you caught this story, gents. There was the story of uh, there was an FA Cup game uh, involving a team in the ninth tier called Blackford and Langley. Uh, Graham, would you like to guess why their goalkeeper was sent off? I could, I won't. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, there was a goalkeeper in the FA Cup, a lower league goalkeeper, a few years ago, who was eating a pie at the side of the pitch. So I'm going to guess that this this person was eating a pie. Is that the answer? Always with the pies, isn't it? Always. No, Indeed. it wasn't that. Um, this was uh, Connor Maseko, the goalkeeper for Blackburn Langley of the ninth uh-huh. tier, who were playing Shipton Mallet, a Somerset, a Somerset team. He was sent off for. Peeing in a hedge, Taylor. Peeing in a hedge in the middle of the game. Uh, literally, while the ball went out of play, he went into a hedge. Uh, um, his manager said he protected himself. Yep. He was inside the hedge. Sometimes when you have to go, you have to go. I was gobsmacked. We were all pretty shocked by the decision to send him off. you got to sympathize, Tay-Tay. I mean, I, I feel like Gary Lineker has to sympathize. I, I don't <laughs> think he was sent off when he had his incident, which is also worth uh, looking up. He didn't make Gra- it to the hedge that time, though. He did not, uh, but at least he was wearing white shorts. Uh, Graham, I think your answer was pretty terrific, and I thought that was going to be the actual answer based on how perfectly (laughs) you connected things. Instead, we get a stranger one, which it it does seem like maybe there would have been some drinking before the urinating, but uh, either way, a strange one, I guess that's a red card. I guess, yeah, I could see, like, disrespecting the the uniform in some way could be a red card. Is that what he did? (laughs) He, He might have also eaten a pie in the hedge. We don't know. That's true. There's, there's, there's rumours that that might have also happened. I want to know how the referee investigated what happened inside yeah. the hedge, um, yeah. whether he asked them, come on, was that was that a one or a two? And what would have happened if it was a two? <laughs> it was a one or a two. He was well protected. He could have just been going to have a little rest, maybe read some notes on the game or something, read the match day programme. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows, Graham? Who knows? We should get the full story on that. Maybe next week we'll uh, expose what really... Let's not use that word in that context. Anyway, no. um, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a very interesting weekend, gents. Uh, this Saturday, I only watched a little bit of soccer in a pub before I went to the home of soccer. Uh, I went to see the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert at Wembley Stadium, which is a very emotional day, lots of fantastic performances. The opening had uh, Liam Gallagher with the Foo Fighters, with Dave Grohl on drums, playing songs from Definitely Maybe. And I thought if there was a giant Starbucks latte in my hand, it would have combined literally all of my interests at once. So it was a very happy day. Did I also see you posting pictures of Wimbledon's like historic moments through the yeah. years, also somewhere within Wembley Stadium? So it really d- did feel like that, right. that night was really made for you, I think. We, we walked in the door and I look up and there's literally pictures of Dave Besson saving the penalty in 1988 against Liverpool. It was wonderful. I have to say though, Graham, it wasn't all wonderful. It was a very emotional day, but it wasn't all wonderful. I was on the field, I had a standing ticket, and there was a moment where I just felt like a chill go down my spine. 
and I couldn't figure out why. And then I looked Alien. up and I realized where I was standing on the field. <laughs> and it felt like almost exactly on the spot I was standing, Graham, last summer, someone was horse collared by someone <laughs> did else. You, did you feel a, a phantom tug on your collar as you were uh, <laughs> as you were watching the gig? For safety's sake, I took my shirt off and then kept it off for the rest of the night, basically, Graham. That's Only logical we're, thing to do. Yeah. Ryan, you're still <laughs> insisting that that was not what it was, which was just a clear dive? You, you still want to try to act like that was actually a foul? <laughs> All right. Let's move on and review the weekend, shall we, guys? <laughs> on that note, we're going to go a little bit in depth on the Merseyside and Milan derbies. But why don't we kick off events, Taylor Rockwell, with Manchester United, hang on, three, Arsenal one, Man United's fourth straight win in a row, Anthony scoring on his debut here as well. Arsenal's 100% record emphatically ended here. No invincibles in North London. Oh, wait. Tottenham, still invincible. Interesting, interesting. Um, but Taylor, were you expecting this result? Were you expecting Marcus Rashford to have two goals and an assist? Tell me more. I wasn't until we spent uh, an entire episode singing the praises of Arsenal and talking about how they were incredible now. So it did feel like we had pretty <laughs> pretty satisfactorily laid the groundwork for them to go ahead and lose. But no, this seemed like maybe it would be a draw at best, that Manchester United were still figuring some things out, still betting in some players, and Arsenal have obviously hit the ground running, have had a very strong start to the season. So I was fully expecting a win for Arsenal, and I think things go a little bit differently if maybe that their initial goal isn't called back, and I know Arsenal fans are angry about that one. I think this game goes a very different direction, and I think I agree overall with some of what Arteta was saying, which is that I think there are positives to take away from this game, that we learned some things and we just got to like keep on fighting. I think that is a pretty good takeaway for Arsenal supporters because they were dominant at times. They easily could have scored a couple goals, but I think also Manchester United played the game they wanted to play. They did a bit more countering and, and, and playing pretty efficient attacking soccer when they did attack. And so I, I think in the end, United fans... Very, very happy with this result. Arsenal fans, less so, but I think things are still pretty bright for the Gunners. I thought the, the Manchester United performance was was very interesting and kind of <laughs> started off one way, then became yep. something else entirely different for the rest of the match. And and this isn't a, a fully mature Ten Hag team. And he said that much after the match when he when he spoke about how it's a process and reading between the lines, this team isn't quite playing how he wants in, in the long term. But United, they start the better of the two teams. They look sharp in possession. They had Arsenal pinned back. And, and the first 20 minutes of this match was probably the best football that United have played under Ten Hag. Then the Martinelli disallowed goal happens when Arsenal got in behind United so easily with just one single pass. And, and that seemed to shake them a little bit. And the dynamic of the match shifted completely. Arsenal took a, a grip of things. And then it was United who were the ones who were playing in quick transition and looking to get in behind, which they did effectively, particularly with the second and third goals that they scored. But I thought the United, as I say, the United performance, very interesting. Ten Hag has made compromises it's notable for example that De Gea isn't playing out from the back anymore at least not under pressure he's he's launching it long and that's a compromise Ten Hag is he's using passers to break the lines from from deep rather than ball carriers that's that's a compromise Rashford is as the the number nine he is he's not very effective in possession but he's brilliant at getting in behind and playing on the break and that is another compromise and this sounds like I'm criticizing Ten Hag I'm I'm not at all this is a good thing he's been smart enough to realize he needs short term results to get the chance to reshape the the long term but at the moment united 
I mean, Taylor, maybe you disagree on this, but at times it's almost resist, uh, reminiscent of how they played under Solskjaer. It's, yep. it's a bit harder working off the ball and they're sharper in the final third and you can see there's more, there's more sequences to their play in the attack. But there is definitely overlap between the way that United played under Solskjaer when they were at their best under Solskjaer and how Ten Hag has been able to get results these last few weeks. Which is interesting because if they were going full like playing like Solskjaer, they could have played uh, Harry Maguire in this one. So I think there was still maybe some uh, aspect of Ten Hag put it, putting his sort of stamp on the team. But I think overall you're right, Graham, that it seemed like more of a we will sit off and frustrate and then look to hit you on the counter performance for Manchester United. But I think within there, there is still technical evolution. Much has been made about the kind of link up between Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes uh, that leads to two of the goals in this one. And I thought that was a midfield partnership we wouldn't see much of, certainly not with just Scott McTominay as the base, but they seem to have found uh, pretty good chemistry. They seem to be playing pretty well, and I think that's pretty instrumental to Manchester United being able to attack the way they want to and maybe the way they intended to at times under Ole but weren't able to, just having that midfield connectivity to string some passes together so that you, you don't just have to kind of focus on the wings and shutting down the wings. There's other threats that have to be dealt with, and I think Arsenal found that out by getting opened up themselves, at least on that opening goal by Anthony, which was wonderful as a Man United fan. Really enjoyed the goal, really enjoyed the celebration. Uh, I saw some people, Football Weekly, uh, mocking him for kissing the badge already. I will have none of that. Him and uh, uh, Martinez hugging was awesome. I enjoyed every part of that goal. I thought he was just a big fan of Team Viewer, to be honest. That could be. I didn't think he was kissing the badge. <laughs> I mean, brand loyalty, baby. Yeah, who isn't <laughs> a fan of that good and or service, I would say, uh, Graham. Uh, to go back, Graham, to your, to your idea of the compromises that um, this uh, Ten Hag has made, is mm. that essentially the difference we see between the opening day, the terrible opening couple of performances we saw from this team, and mm. now? Is that evolution a result of compromise, or is it something else? Um, it's partially down to that compromise. I think obviously a big one is De Gea. Those first two games were a nightmare for him. And as I say, watch him on the ball now. He's he's very rarely playing anything short, particularly when he's under pressure. So that is certainly something that Ten Hag... I can't imagine two years from now that Ten Hag's thinking David De Gea is going to be his goalkeeper. But for now, that's the goalkeeper he's got. So he has to compromise on that. I think also... Um, Maybe there are some tactical things. I mean, there's certainly some tactical things. Harry Maguire being dropped, Martinez and, and Varane seems like they've got a partnership there. Malassia, I think, has added something at left back. So there's there's personnel changes that have happened. Ericsson, keep in mind, he started the first game as a false nine. That did not work at all. And now Ten Hag has dropped him deep into kind of a, a number six position where he's a deep line playmaker. He's the one breaking the lines with the passes. But I also think Ten, ha- Ten Hag's just had buy-in from the squad. And this is where you get a sliding doors moment where at the time we were all saying, when they lost that game to Brentford, we were saying, oh, my United have got Liverpool next. You couldn't really ask for a worse fixture. And actually in retrospect now, you look back at it and you think that was the best possible fixture for Manchester City to have at that time because it just forced everyone within that squad to go, right, we really need to pick things up or we're going to concede double figures against this Liverpool team. And now Ten Hag has something to point to or after that game, he had something to point to and said, look, this is what happens when you listen to me. And it's not perfect right now. And it's a little bit scrappy, but there's the work rate there. There's the intensity there that just wasn't there, particularly in that Brentford match where it felt like my where their approach was just so passive. So there are some personnel differences, there's a mentality difference, and um, I think that is, that's how my United have kind yeah. of turned the corner since those two games. The, men- the mentality difference is the one that I think stands out to me. Just seeing, I mean, it's become a sort of like almost 
uh, like a parody moment at this point, how much the defense loves tackles and loves putting crosses out for corners or even if they on the rare occasion when it's a cross coming in and they block it into the player who crossed it and then it goes out for a goal kick the celebration as though they've scored a goal is is a new thing to me but it does speak (laughs) to a like collective spirit there's a lot of intensity there's a lot of I think good energy coming out of the defense which was definitely not the case last season but so much of this performance like aside from the way it was played, which is an odd thing to say as we analyze the game. But I think there were just those moments in there that felt to me like you could see the collective spirit improving at Manchester United. I already talked about the uh, the the goal celebration, the hugs uh, afterwards, but even Eric Ten Hag, a person who hasn't been very emotional, to my mind at least, I think has kept himself pretty reserved on the sidelines, hasn't lost his mind, will give you like a one fist bump or maybe two hands in the air, got very excited with Anthony scoring that goal. And I think when the stories come out about him insisting on that signing and making it happen and pressing United to pursue Anthony again when it seemed like it was done, that seemed like a vindication moment for me. Not that one goal is 100 million pounds worth, but I think there was still an idea there that like he is getting this team slowly to buy into his ideals, his system, and then you can slowly get them to then kind of get on side with the other tactical nuances, that, or maybe not nuances, but like uh, passing out of the back sort of moments. Maybe that comes later, but for now yeah. I think you have to have the spirit and the buy-in to make that happen. Arsenal fans, we will talk about you shortly, but just one, one other thing, Taylor, to pick up on, you mentioned Ericsson. One of the more interesting facets of the Man United game here for me was that double pivot, if you want to call it that, with Ericsson sort of sitting deep, as you say, having those outlets on the wing, having Sancho and Anthony to pass, and Bruno as well. It felt like it really played into his strengths. And McTominay as well. I really enjoyed him being quite physical, yanking Gabriel Jesus pretty much to the ground rugby style at one point. That was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Uh, and evidently keeping Casemiro out of the team. It's, it's, uh, it was an impressive uh, a, a, a screen in front of the defence, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Kind of surprised that we still aren't seeing Casemiro, but it does sound like that is because Scott McTominay has been doing so well in training. But that midfield, which was for so long an issue, and may still be when they come up against teams that uh, make them have to do something different, I'm not sure how adaptable that midfield will be. But I like two, like what, at least two of the goals coming from Ericsson to Bruno, Bruno plays somebody in. Uh, I, I think that sort of connection and how readily they look to play forward but quickly that Erickson is usually one or two touch passes into Bruno Bruno then has a couple more touches but even there he's not doing as much of the hero ball I still think Rashford though he scores uh, a brace and gets an assist uh it's some of the decision making is still not my favorite it's still a a kind of sign that maybe he's not quite comfortable being that main center forward and maybe he'll get there eventually but I think that's the type of thing I'm speaking to when I say that I think you've got to get the buy-in there, the collective spirit there, some players who are familiar with the system sort of doing doing it at 100% level so that everybody else raises their game and adjusts accordingly. Uh, and I think we started to see bits and pieces of that. Very much enjoyed, this is the third time I've mentioned it, uh, that hug after the first goal because it felt like two guys being like, hey, I saw you in, the, in, in Amsterdam like a month ago. Good to see you here, buddy, as Anthony and Martinez <laughs> hugged. Excellent hug analysis. Yeah. Um, Graham, as for Arsenal... Uh, I didn't feel like this was a 3-1 loss kind of performance. It didn't play mm. very well. Just uh, just far too open on the counter, it turned out in the end, didn't it? And maybe that Martinelli goal had gone in, had been ca- counted, I should say. It would have been a different story. Yeah, Arsenal played a, a lot of nice stuff in this match. And you're right. I think if that Martinelli goal counts, then it's a complete, the dynamic of the match com- completely shifts because 
all of a sudden Arsenal, I don't know whether they would have done this, but they would have had the option to sit a little bit deeper and then that would have asked more questions of Manchester United to play through them. And despite the fact, I do think they've made some progress United in that, in that regard. This team, as we saw in this match, is still very much built in the attack to make the most of, of counter-attack, quick transition moments. So it would have suited Arsenal. I mean, stating the obvious here, they would have had a 1-0 lead. But in terms of the, the, the tactical landscape of the match, it would have suited them to have that early lead. Um, I still thought you could see a lot of the progress that they've made in a lot of the, the football that they played, but it felt a bit safe at times. United took risks on the ball and, and Arsenal never really did that. And Arsenal actually found it quite easy to make it into the United penalty area. I think it was uh, James Bench who, who works for CBS. He was he was t- live tweeting how many times Arsenal were making it into the Manchester United penalty area, and I think he got up to like fifteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether that was d- by design or not by Ten Hag, but once Arsenal got into the penalty area, they were they were slow to make the final ball, whether it was a pass or, or getting across into the middle, and then the changes that Arteta made in that second half as well. So the, the second goal, I think it's fair to say, happens against the run of play, but at, at that point it felt like Arsenal would still have taken something out of the match if they'd continued playing as they were that that chance would have come they, they would have at least got a draw in my opinion of how the rest of the match would have would have panned out but that goal that second United goal it prompts Arteta to make a triple change and it was like he was throwing everything at it so Odegaard, Lakonga and Zinchenko they come off and Fabio Vieira, um, Smith Rowe and Eddie Nketiah they come on and from that moment on Arsenal just they just lacked shape their possession play which had been so sharp and and um well constructed up to a up to a point it just lost its rhythm and the midfield midfield framework excuse me was totally disrupted and united exploited this by just playing passes in behind and a couple of those passes were excellent the two from Ericsson and then the, the 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 bruno fernandez passed through for the the second united goal were brilliant passes but nonetheless in principle, those were just simple balls in behind the Arsenal defence, and it just felt like they left themselves open to that sort of attack from Manchester United, and maybe they caused their downfall a little bit. And but a little bit, a little bit naive, both from Arsenal as a team, and yeah. also I thought Arteta as a manager. Michael Cox has a good piece in the Athletic uh, that kind of breaks down how Manchester United were able to uh, essentially utilize passing the ball backwards to make Arsenal come out of their shape to then open them up to pass through them. And I think in some ways you did see. Manchester United doing some things to frustrate Arsenal to pull them out of shape, to pull them out of position, and then to capitalize on the spaces created. But I still think that was maybe some individual moments let them down, and then there's the VAR decision. I think, Ryan, to your point, there is another reality in which this game goes a very different way. So I think Manchester United fans feeling very happy with the result, happy with the current form, but I don't think any fans are seeing that one and thinking, yep, that's it, we figured it out, we're playing the way we want to. Mm. Whereas I think Arsenal will be frustrated by some of those defensive lapses and some of those mistakes. I do think, not just because we have loved him so much on this show this season, I think some of the criticism of Zinchenko feels unfair to me on that opening goal because I think he's trying to do a lot of different things at once. But I think him aside, there were just some other little moments that I, you would assume as the season goes on, they get sharper sharper as they get some players back from injury. I think Arsenal will continue to improve. And I, I don't have any issue saying that I still think they will be uh, top four comfortably. All right, then let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk Merseyside Derby back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let's wind it back to Saturday and Liverpool nil, Everton nil. Graham, this was the only game, as I mentioned, I actually watched on Saturday. I watched it in a pub full of Tottenham fans who were on their way mm-hmm. to the Tottenham game. I watched it on Liverpool Street, which is appropriate because the two teams here are from Liverpool. And are a they? street. Yeah, yeah. It's clever, Used isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, Graham, an event, a pretty Graham, eventful... You didn't, you didn't pick up that baton and, and get after it. I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just tossing out. Base- I can't think of a good baseball analogy. I'm just going to park that one. Graham, this is a holiday episode, folks. This is a holiday bonus episode. Keeping it loose on Labor Day. Great nil-nil draw here, Graham. I thought a very eventful game. Uh, we had Tom Davies, Darwin Nunes, and Luis Diaz all hitting the woodwork in this one. We had a VIR ruling, as is the fashion of this weekend ruling. Yeah. It was uh, Connor Cody, wasn't it? Um, it was. Yeah, so the star of the show... I feel sorry for him because he put so much into celebration and he's a local <laughs> lad and he played for Liverpool and you could see how much that moment meant to him. And as I'm watching his quite manic celebration in front of the Gladys Street end, I'm thinking, uh, this could be offside. I don't know if he should be putting this much into it. And indeed, it was chalked off correctly for an offside. It was one of the few VR decisions of this weekend that I thought was spot on. Yeah, Richarlison, by the way, had a goal ruled out and he'd already taken his shirt off as well. And got booked is... for it and the yellow yeah. card doesn't get rescinded after the <laughs> VR review. Right, roll. Back to this game, though. Uh, Graham, surely the star, Mr Pickford in goal, made, I believe, eight saves here. It seemed like he made a lot more than that. He was uh, very good indeed. Yeah, so first of all, you're right to mention that this was a, this was a fun match. Ended goalless, but plenty of, of goal mouth action. It was it was on at the same time as the Old Firm Derby, so I was I was watching both matches at the same time and... I have to admit, compared to the intensity of the old firm, old firm derby, it felt slightly tame. But that that doesn't mean it was a bad match. It was it was a good watch nonetheless. And there were thirty seven shots in the match between the two teams. And for context, no Premier League match has had more shots than that and still finished goalless in twenty twenty two. Not just this season, but in twenty twenty two as a whole. So that probably tells you the the story of the match. And and you're right to highlight Jordan Pickford and his performance at the moment. It kind of feels like all the England goalkeepers are pushing each other higher and higher right now. So Nick Pope has settled in very quickly at, at Newcastle. He he produced another good performance against Palace at the weekend. Dean Han- Henderson is, is also making an impression at Nottingham Forest. I think he's still celebrating with his wee hat after that penalty save a couple of weeks ago. And Pickford, uh, as I say, produced an excellent performance in this match. There was a save from Nunes onto the bar. There was a low save to stop Firmino. There was another one from Firmino in the, in the second half. And then the, the one from Salah, which he may or may not have got a fingertip to. But either way, Pickford produced one of those performances. We know he's he's got in him. I, I just wish he would... In this match, I think his, his high-octane style kind of works. But a lot of the time, I just wish he would settle down because I can't imagine <laughs> he's a he's a calming influence for, for a defender to have that sort of personality 
be uh, behind him. But um, yeah, he's he's still England's number one goalkeeper in Southgate's eyes and some vindication with this performance. Indeed. Taylor, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trash uh, Liverpool if you'd like to take it. This wasn't a bad performance, I'd say, from Liverpool, but it, you know, not worse than perhaps the Manchester United one, but not quite on the same level of the, the 9-0 they set not so long ago. Can, do you, I'll ask you again. I think I asked this a little while ago. Do you buy into the narrative of this being a downturn for Jurgen Klopp? You know how we saw it at Dortmund where he was operating at 110% with all these players for a few seasons and then didn't quite have the same grip on them. It's inevitable for any coach and any team, isn't it, to have a, have a yeah. uh, coming down the other side of the arc at some point, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think we've seen so much success for him for so long that I think there is going to be an inevitable downturn and then it's about getting in new players to challenge the players who are still there or selling on players who don't quite still buy into the system or are ready for a new challenge. And I think that's what they did with Sadio Mane this summer. I think that ends up being smart business in the long run. Uh, And I think that Liverpool, with that in mind, haven't been as excited as a lot of us, myself included, expected. I had them to win the title. I'm feeling increasingly less confident about that one these days. But I think with all that said... These these games are always sort of throw form out the window games. I think historically, or at least recently, it still feels like Liverpool tend to get the better of the results, but Everton always make it difficult. They will always raise their game for this one. You can tell it's a game where even if you have a bunch of players not steeped in their traditions, they get the idea. You're not supposed to like Liverpool. You're supposed to really, really want to beat them. And in that way, I thought that made for a really compelling game because both teams, I thought, were pretty open. You'd get Everton with a good bit of possession and they'd get a shot and then suddenly Liverpool, as they want to do, at the other end, 10 seconds later, getting a shot of their own. I thought both goalkeepers had pretty strong displays, Pickford probably more notably. Uh, I was sad to see that goal chalked off, although I did seem like it was going to happen in the moment and I agree with Graham. The celebrations seemed a bit like, you guys might want to just hold on one second just to see what happens. But I think overall, it was a really... Good reminder that nil-nil games can still be really engaging and really entertaining because I kept wanting to look away and wanting to get distracted uh, and kept getting pulled back in, much like Michael Corleone, because it just kept having those big swings, those big moments, and just a really entertaining game from start to finish. When we're talking about whether this is a a fallow year for for Liverpool with Klopp, and and, uh, Ryan, you mentioned Dortmund, and and that's a a fair reference, but I would also point to just a couple of seasons ago where Liverpool essentially had a bit of a fallow year where where it felt like just the intensity of their play dropped a little bit and then they ramped it back up for the following season. So that might be what's happening just now, but just like that fallow year they had a couple of seasons ago, I think we should mention the injury situation that they have, particularly in central midfield. So they start with, Fabinho starts at the base of the midfield, so that that's a, a first-team pick, but they start with the midfield of Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho. So you have two, I'm not sure if Harvey Elliott is still a teenager, but nonetheless, they're, they're both young players inexperienced uh, in this sort of occasion and this sort of setting and then I think in the second half Firmino comes off the bench and he drops into central midfield into kind of a number eight position so Thiago is is out injured at the moment Henderson's out injured at the moment Naby Keita's out injured at the moment Artur's not really been integrated into that team yet he was on the bench for this game so I do wonder, I think that's maybe when we can make a fair judgment of this Liverpool team is when all those players are back and available. But the issue for Liverpool is they're dropping so many points right now that by the time that happens, they might just have far too much ground to make up on, on City. I, I kind of already feel like they might they might have given themselves too much work to catch yeah. City at the top of the Premier League. I, I would definitely 
I also, Taylor, I also predicted Liverpool to win the title. I would definitely change that prediction now um, just because of the amount of ground that Liverpool have lost early on. Yeah, and it's not to say that then they're going to have a disaster of a season. But I look even at that Artur signing for a second, which I've already kind of uh, made fun of last week. And my sort of assumption is they recognize we're a little bit threadbare. We're already getting some injuries. We've got the World Cup coming up. We need to have more depth than we have that is depth with experience behind it. So not just trying to play the kids. So then if you're Liverpool relatively late in the window, I'm going to assume they have a bunch of targets already identified because they have a pretty good scouting network. And I'm guessing that all of those they realized late in the window, we're Liverpool, we're a Premier League club, we're going to have to spend a lot of money. And I think they ended up going with a more value buy in Artur, who clearly was not wanted by Juve. They were willing to let him go. But I think that's sort of where they were in that moment. It's a practical decision, but I don't think it makes the splash that maybe a more permanent long-term signing might have brought and might have brought that enthusiasm with him the way, say, Luis Diaz did midseason last year. So I think that sort of signing doesn't help the feeling that, like, ah, oh, we're not quite sure what to make of this team, but Artur is, is, I assume, still a very good player. It's been a while since I've seen him play, but I think Liverpool itself, a very good club with a strong foundation, a strong manager. I think they'll be just fine. It's another one where maybe they're not challenging for the title, although Man City trying to make things interesting, sort of. Uh, But I think it will end up being another very capable year for Liverpool. Yeah, it was telling for me as well that uh, I thought that Everton won the midfield battle here. I thought Awobi, Anana and Davies had a stronger outing than Liverpool's midfield, which maybe speaks more, Graham, as well to Everton's solidity. Yeah, absolutely. And and Everton have now drawn their last four Premier League matches. And while they need to improve in that and actually pick up some wins at some point, it does show that, that Lampard has made them tougher to beat, which was important. That's an important first step. And you're right to highlight that that central midfield because it feels like Lampard has found a unit that works well together. That unit is Awobi, Tom Davis and Onana, the, the new signing. These three worked very well together against Leeds and, and they worked well again in, in this match. And there's also still... Um, Adrisa Ganagay to come in and James Garner from Manchester United, who I haven't watched much of, but seemed to be the the, the opinion, the consensus is that he was very good for Forrest last season in the championship. So maybe they add something as well to that midfield unit. But Onana in particular, he looks like a, a great signing. He, he covers a lot of ground. He tackles, he blocks, he won the most defensive aerial duels in this match, made the most tackles. But his, his passing and his distribution was also strong. He had an 88% pass accuracy. So there is a sense that Everton are turning the corner right now. I like that defensive unit that they've got. I thought Nathan Patterson was was very good in this game. It would be remiss of me not to mention him, given his uh, his nationality. It was, it was surprising to me last season he didn't go straight into the Everton team after signing for Rangers, given that that right-back spot has been a weak area for for Everton for a while but he's in the team now he's very quick to get forward he's energetic he brings a lot of intensity he um, could do with refining his final ball a little bit but he's got a lot of the qualities you would look for in a modern fullback so it feels like Lampard in terms of the personnel is is finding the right players for positions on the pitch and he's also got Neil Mope who who isn't you can't really count on Neil Mope for 20 goals a season but just in terms of the structure of the team now that Everton have an actual centre forward everything kind of feels like it's in its right place all of a sudden. And people playing TSS Bingo at home are having themselves quite a day because now we've got uh, Graham references being excited about the Scotland national team. Uh, <laughs> we already had Ryan uh, with Wimbledon, 
Foo Fighters, Oasis, and Starbucks inside the first like five minutes, I think. I, I've gone long on Manchester United and let emotionality take over. I think we're really having a banner day here at Total Soccer Show in terms of really <laughs> hitting all the marks. We are indeed. We should be very, very proud of ourselves. Uh, the Merseyside derby there. <laughs> By the way, the pub, um... enthusiasm for himself. I'll cross <laughs> that one out as well. Cool. The pub I watched this uh, game in, which, by the way, guys, Liverpool Street, which is clever because these two teams are from Liverpool, just re-emphasize that. Um, <laughs> there was an Austin FC shirt in there, and a guy wearing an Austin FC shirt. And I couldn't tell if he was a East London hipster or a person from Austin. I should have gone and asked. But uh, who knows? Or an Austin hipster. Maybe both. definitely a hipster. One or yeah. the other. One or the other. There was a convergence of some sort, said Graham. You're quite right. Yeah. Uh, let's look around the rest of the Premier League, a.k.a. looking at all the terrible VAR decisions. We'll go to Brentford 5, Leeds 2. Ivan Tony with a hat-trick in this one. England call-up incoming, it seems, for Tony here. Uh, a decent... Uh, yeah, that was, this was pretty, a decent game, I'd say, Graham. Uh, an opening goal given by VAR. Jesse Marsh ending the day with a red card. Indeed, and I, I feel some sympathy for him because the, the foul that he was refer- referencing certainly felt like it deserved a, a, a longer look through VER. So, of course, everything is reviewed through VER, but some things are, are looked at a little bit closer, and it could have been a decision that the match kind of turned on. After that moment, it felt like the wheels came off for, for Leeds a little bit, and they started the season well, but it, it, it was just too easy for Brentford to get in behind. I felt like Brentford won the midfield battle as well. I thought some people were going slightly over the top on Tyler Adams' mistakes in, in this match. There was one that you wouldn't say led to a goal because it actually happens in the opposition half, but he misses a, misses a, a duel and Brentford come flying up the pitch and, and score. So that wasn't an ideal moment for him, but... Yeah, Leeds just made too many mistakes and, and Brentford are too good to do that against. And Ivan Tony, he just had a lot of fun in this match. He scored, could have scored a fourth one as well. I think he hits the woodwork with a with a second free kick. And as you say, the talk is very much that he's going to get an England call up. And I am looking forward to see how he does in that squad. Yes, indeed. Chelsea 2, West Ham 1. A comeback win for Chelsea. This was Thiago Silva and uh, substitute Kai Havertz with the winner there. Uh, Wesley Fofana making his debut for Chelsea 2. But once again, Graham, VAR controversy taking the headlines. A 90th minute, was around 90th minute equaliser for West mm. Ham. Uh, ruled out because... Um, uh, reasons? This is as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, D- David yeah. Boyes was uh, pretty furious. He said it was a scandalous decision. Uh, Declan Rice weighing in on Twitter as well. Uh, the referee's body, PGMOL, has admitted this one was an error too. It was, it was um, Mendy, the goalkeeper for Chelsea, Graham, who basically got contact after the ball had gone past him. And minimal contact at that as well. I mean, I saw Graham Sooners today on TalkSport saying that Jared Bowen had raked his studs over the top of Edward Mendy, and that feels like elaborating and exaggerating slightly what actually happened. There may have been contact in the literal sense of the word, but the way Edward Mendy goes down, it's as if he's been, uh, you know, mutilated or something. And um, yeah, this one definitely should have should have stood. I'm not sure what more I can add to it because it just felt like a, a very obvious one. I think Moyes is, is, was right. It was a rotten decision and the PGMOL have admitted it was a bad decision, but I'm not sure what use that is to West Ham now after that they ha- they've lost the match. <laughs> yeah, not much good for them at this point. Uh, Tottenham 2, Fulham 1. Hoiberg and Kane getting the goals for Tottenham Spurs. Looking very threatening going forward, Graham, in this one. Uh, nervy final 10 minutes, though, with Mitrovic uh, pulled one back. Uh, I did enjoy the aforementioned Richardson taking a shirt off for a disallowed goal. And also, he had this flying scissor kick that hit the post, which was pretty awesome late on as well. 
Yeah, and he was very good in this game and was unlucky not to score. And I thought there was a number of good performance from performances from Spurs. Excuse me, Clement Longley did decent enough in the back three. Signs of life from Son as well, who hasn't been in the best of form this season. But it feels like Spurs have had a lot of matches like this one this season where they weren't exactly emphatic, but you couldn't really argue against them winning it. I very much enjoyed the Mitrovic consolation goal as it turned out in the end a, a lovely kind of curling finish to make it 2-1 he is really ramming uh, down the throats of those people who said he might not be able to do it in the Premier League this season who would say such a thing on a Premier League preview show I'm not sure I know anyone who would say something like that but was it, was it me Spurs- it feels like it was me no, it was me, I okay. think, that said that. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I said Fulham are, are a team full of players who have shown in the past can't do it at Premier League level, and Mitrovic is chief among them, but as I say, he's, he's, he's showing me up this season. But nonetheless, Spurs deserved this win, and did you say they're still unbeaten in the Premier League this season at the top of the show, Ryan? I think I that is correct. They are, yes. So I guess that is a good thing for them. For them, it certainly is. Uh, not a bad result for Aston Villa either. A 1-1 uh, draw against Manchester City. Um, Leon Bailey and Erling Haaland with the goals. Haaland with a nice volley at the back post. Uh, his 10th goal in six games. Uh, he's got 1.67 goals per game. Graham, if he carries on that 63 goals, 63 goals and a third this season that he will score Erling Haaland. Um, and once again, a, a, a goal ruled out here. Uh, Philip Coutinho with a very lovely potential winner uh, ruled out for what transpired to be an incorrect offside decision. Yeah, that was another bad decision, although I don't think that was quite as bad as the the Chelsea West Ham one and the other one at St. James's Park we might mention a little bit later on because I felt like the City, this is the one where City kind of stopped playing, right, before the shot. So you, you never really know. Ederson, certainly, it doesn't feel like, because the whistle blows and I don't think Ederson um, kind of puts 100% into saving it. So you never know. Maybe it doesn't go in if the play is allowed to continue. But nonetheless, the play should be allowed to continue. I'm not sure how much we can read into City dropping points here because the, the expected goal showed that City finished on over two while Aston Villa finished on 0.26. And Villa did a good job of stopping City from controlling the match in the second half, which they deserve credit for. And the finish from Liam Bailey for the equaliser was sensational. But I feel like on another day, this probably would have been enough from City to beat most teams on most days. Um, So as I say, maybe this is just kind of collateral damage. This is going to happen over the course of the season, and I still expect them to win the title. Indeed. Let's whip through a few of the other results. Nottingham Forest 2, Bournemouth 3. Bournemouth were 2-0 down in this one. They've got an 87th minute winner. Uh, They're up to 13th. That's a caretaker, Gary O'Neill, who's taken four points from two games for Bournemouth. Very impressive stuff. And Philip Bigling's goal for 2-1 was a banger. Recommend you look that one up, uh, listener, if you haven't seen it. Uh, Newcastle 0, Palace 0. VAR striking this one again, making Eddie Howe very, very unhappy here. Uh, Wolves 1, Southampton 0. Wolves' first win of the season, Taylor. Yay! Yay. Yay of sorts. Uh, they get the win, so that's a positive. But uh, Kalajdzic, their new signing, comes off uh, at halftime with an ACL concern, and it does seem like it will end up requiring surgery. So uh, their brand new signing that was meant to keep them up and keep them scoring goals will not be doing that. Uh, queuing reports today that Diego Costa, who is out of contract right now, uh, will be brought in to be evaluated. He'll get some fitness sessions, and I guess they'll see how well uh, he fits into the squad. But I wouldn't say that's exactly what Wolves were hoping for when they splashed that cash to bring in Kalajdzic. I hadn't read that. Is that happening? Diego Costa's coming to the back to the Premier League. I am I mean, fully up. on Fingers board. With crossed. That. Don't Brace spoil yourself. it. Don't scare him, Graham. Don't scare him. He might not show up. <laughs> Get ready, Graham. Get ready. That's all we've got to say. Um, 
uh, what should we get? Brighton and Leicester. Brentford and Leeds weren't the only teams to get a 5-2 and begin with B and L. That's my best observation for this one. Brighton 5, Leicester 2. Uh, another bad VR decision in this one. Um, McAllister having a rocket ruled yeah. out in this one, Taylor. Um, yeah, good day for Graham Potter, not so much for Brendan Rodgers and VAR. It felt for a moment after that goal was disallowed. I was working on this whole theory that like this could be the turning point in Brighton season and, and what might have been if they got this win and it sparks them on to maybe qualify for Europe and Graham Potter, who knows what will happen. And then they ended up scoring three more goals and it was all just fine. But that, that disallowed goal, we, we haven't spent too much time on VAR. I don't know how much time we need to spend on it. And I think it's one of those where... Uh, late co-host Daryl would always say, like, no, it's correct. Like, that's why we have VAR. He was offside. You can see Mwepu was standing there, so that means it's correct. And I, and he's not wrong, uh, or wouldn't be wrong, but at the same time, I think this is where it gets into the nuance of VAR, that Mwepu goes for the overhead kick from, an, a, like, a one-inch offside position. I would argue he doesn't really influence things because I forget which defender it was who was heading it, but he already is sort of in the position to head the ball. He's, I think facing down he's just trying to get to it first and so I don't think Muepu has that big of a role to play there in throwing anybody off and so then to disallow that goal as beautiful as it was was frustrating but I think it would have been frustrating even if it had been a tap in at the back post because sometimes when those decisions feel like they don't make sense it becomes all the more frustrating but with that said I think it's a credit to Brighton that they don't let the game get away from them they don't let anybody back into it but instead they just keep playing their game, keep the belief going. And then uh, McAllister ends up getting his his uh, free kick goal late, which was equally well struck. So I think on the whole, a very solid performance from Brighton, less so from the officials in VAR. Indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk Milan Derby back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We turn our attentions to Italy and the Derby della Madonnina. Taylor, would you like to take a wild guess at what the Madonnina is? Uh, the Madonna? Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's specifically the Virgin Mary on top of the Duomo in Milan, apparently. There it is. Yeah. There it is. I, am, I mean, I... it's a good question because I, I do wonder those. I'm I'm always fascinated by why... Juve Napoli is the Derby d'Italia, or is that Juve Inter? Either way, I'm sure there's a lot of historical connections that I don't quite understand. Yeah, indeed. Um, I'm learning as I go along with my Italian civics, so uh, it's it's, it's coming. I don't believe you. Well, I know not to ever use a turning signal in the car, because that's not the test here. I know not to line up properly, and and, then what a Madanina is. There you go, I'm getting there. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 
Milan 3 into Milan 2. <laughs> Two goals for Rafael Leal helping the champions. Milan fight back from a goal down here. Graham, I thought this was like a, a good Serie A advertisement. Uh, two last champions going at it here. Five goals, pretty entertaining stuff. Giroud's very handsome and so on. <laughs> he is still very handsome at the moment. I'm trying to do my best Olivier Giroud impression. I've yeah. not stuck it on social media, but I did put it in our Slack channel. So I've kind of got the blonde uh, hair. I don't have the facial hair. Taylor, you're, you need to lend me your beard. I think if I had the beard, it would it would be relatively close. Certainly as close as I can get. I would just need to be was, a lot more handsome and score a lot more sexy goals. Can I ask, Graham, was that the long game when you bleached your hair to eventually grow out so you could do the Giroud? <laughs> yes, let's just say it as yeah. That that feels like there was some sort of plan and not just uh, done on a whim on a Friday night because I was bored. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, th this so Giroud scored in this goal in this game, but it wasn't actually the, the sexiest goal he scored all season, or certainly not over the course of his career. It was a wild match, and I expected it might be. Although I would argue that the final scoreline didn't quite reflect the overall overall balance of the match as a whole. I thought it was a really? a great spectacle. CBS did a, a great job of building up. I watched it on CBS because it wasn't on British TV. Thanks for that, BT Sport and Sky Sports. Really? But wow. they, they did a brilliant, uh, like, did anyone catch, like, the montage that they did, the, the pre-match build-up montage that they did for this game, which made you want to kind of run through a brick wall by the end of it. But I thought it was a wild match. I thought AC Milan did so much more to win the game than Inter, who took the lead against the run of play and then mounted a late, a late fight back when Zeko came off the bench to make it 3-2. But for me, AC Milan were the better team by quite a distance to my, my eye. And I don't think Inzaghi got his team selection right. And that was... That was reflected in the way Inter were so much better once the changes were made in the second half. So Robin Gosens comes on, Mkhitaryan comes on. Um, there's another one who is it? DeMarco, he comes on. And most importantly, Zeko comes on. And, and it just gave Inter a much more effective attacking apex. Zeko scores within seconds of coming on. But actually, beyond that, Inter managed to keep up the pressure. Mignon had to be in his best form to make a, a number of good saves. I thought Gosens made a big difference down the left. So Darmian starts on that side. But he's, he's not a left footer. So everything's coming inside for Inter. And that was congesting things for them whenever they had the ball. But when Gosens comes on, he's, 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 a, he's a left footer. They had width. They created more space. Everything could breathe a little bit more. Lataro Martinez, he'd been anonymous until Zeko came on but Zeko gave him someone to play off and all of a sudden he looks so much more dangerous. Mkhitaryan comes on for Barella who I thought had a pretty poor game to be honest up until that point and while that put a lot of pressure on Chalanoglu and Brozovic to anchor the midfield it just meant Inter had drive from the middle and the opportunity to create quick transitions which hadn't really been happening um, they did it for the opening goal, but beyond that point, it was a quite a stale performance from Inter. And it, it just meant that once they made those changes, when they broke through the AC Milan high press, which was pretty effective for much of this game, they had five attackers going at it. They had Zeko and Lataro, they had Mkhitaryan backing them up, and then he had Dumfries on, on the right and Gosens on the left. And it was so much more effective. And I have to think Inzaghi regrets not starting this way because, as I say, uh, Inter were just a lot better after those changes were made. Graham, um, I appreciate you joining the VPN gang, 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 watching CBS coverage and our friends Dre Cordero and Matteo Benetti doing excellent commentary as always. I didn't see that montage though, but can I ask about it? Did they show a lot of things happening at once to remind everyone what's going on with every shot? They showed a little improvement to show it all would take too long. A montage. <laughs> montage! <laughs> Uh, yes, I think that was the general idea. There was also someone speaking in a very foreboding, deep voice, uh, which, you know, montage. Montage bingo there. Take that one off. 
Excellent stuff. Tater, did you catch this one? What did you make of the Milan derby? I thought um, I thought I was very impressed with AC Milan in this one, for sure. Maybe more yeah. so than Graham, possibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think... I think it, it, this game was really fun from start to finish. It was another one similar to Everton-Liverpool where you could just sense that everybody was up for it. You could get it but from the atmosphere. You could get it from the players. And a lot of the uh, the on-field frustrations were there. I think there was also, I saw reports that Inter fans chanting some uh, fairly unsavory things and will be reported and we'll see what happens. But I wonder how much that played into Milan's sort of fight and fighting spirit in this one. But I thought also... Just some of the individual performances, Olivier Giroud, uh, Graham's already talked about his love for him in a couple different ways. But I, I, it's so cool to see him just at a, at a club where he seems very comfortable. I love that he was clearly brought in to basically be Zlatan of Zlatan can't play, but at this point has become, I think, the, the, the lead figure for them because he can score the goals, but he can also just be so good and silky in those little moments, that little layoff for the Leao goal or one of Leao's goals I thought was exceptional and I thought Rafael Leao especially was just uh was just electric from start to finish I didn't I like I know he's very good I didn't understand the price tag being quoted for him I definitely start to understand it more after this performance he is good at the soccer that's for sure Graham yeah he is and the leap forward that he's taken in terms of his development in the last 12 months has been incredible because I remember watching him when he first joined AC Milan and the potential was clearly there but it felt like it it wasn't all coming together for him and it felt like he was a little bit raw in some areas of his game but he had an incredible season last season and watching this match it was it was impossible not to think he's on the cusp of taking another leap forward and really kind of similar to last season remember talking about Vinicius Jr I think of him in a kind of a similar way to Rafael Leao where the potential's always been obvious but all of a sudden there's a confidence and and just a composure to his finishing in front of goal and the way that he took both goals in this game he he was just he was just sparkling so he scores two goals um he sets up another one for Giroud and the second goal in particular was absolutely brilliant he has two interplayers in front of him and a third also kind of making a, a jockeying recovery run alongside him and he just takes one touch around them all and they all lose him and he has the space all of a sudden inside the box but he still has a lot to find that far corner corner across Handanovic but he makes it look so easy and he just does everything at such speed even though sometimes it doesn't look like it so if you break down that goal I just mentioned there I just d- described that, that everything happens so quickly, but it almost feels like he's playing at his own pace a little bit. And he is a he is a serious, serious player. And he kind of embodies yeah. what AC Milan have done so well over the last two, three seasons under Pioli, which is find young players and put faith in them and stick with them in the starting lineup. And he is definitely, definitely... I, for me, he's the, he's their 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 yep. main difference maker. They don't have that twenty goal a season striker at the moment, but they do have Rafael Leao. Uh, Graham, that goal you were talking about was that his second, their third, Milan. That's yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, that goal I I loved not just for the way he takes it and makes something kind of happen out of nothing, and very much Inter players should be looking at each other and were and were gesticulating wildly at each other. So I think they weren't too thrilled. But in the 60 to 90 seconds before that goal, I also really enjoyed what I saw from Rafael Leao because he, it starts with Milan having, like, I think it's either a cross that comes in and they reestablish possession. Either way, it's like on the near side corner flag and possession gets recycled and he keeps showing 
as the ball goes back to the center backs all the way back to the goalkeeper, Leao keeps tracking back and tracking back. And at one point, you see him get really annoyed that the ball wasn't played to him. And he sort of kind of throws his hands up. And I think I assumed in the moment, uh, I guess I didn't see, notice this live, but I, I think we've seen many players sort of check out at that point. And the next time you see him, he has moved 30 yards, gotten into a better position. Then he starts to sort of slowly drift into a spot that he sees is opening up. Then he makes a darting run. Ball doesn't come. Then he makes another darting run, and then he ends up getting it. And just how much movement, how much he's checking everywhere, his head is on a swivel. He keeps trying to find space. He doesn't give up, and then he ends up on the end of that, making another darting run and scoring a goal. I I just think he brings energy and enthusiasm and dynamism to that Milan attack, but to also Milan when they're in possession. And I think he is he is going to be that player that by the end of this season, I think, does get uh, consistent, massive transfer offers. And I hope Milan keeps on keeps hold of him because I think it's fun to have yeah. them being a really strong team and having Serie A, just having lots of teams that are all very good that can all take points off each other on any given weekend. Milan have a, have a lot of fun players at the moment who seem to play at a higher speed than, than everyone else. Ryan, you said... Um, there that you know maybe I wasn't impressed I think maybe that was because I uh, laid out my complaints about Inzaghi slightly confusingly <laughs> I thought AC Milan when I said the scoreline didn't reflect how this match went I meant in terms of I thought it should be more emphatic for AC Milan the right. fact that it was it finished 3-2 was closer than actually the balance of the play and it wasn't until Inter made those changes in the second half that we saw what they're all about but up until then the the pace and speed that AC Milan were playing with it, it made Inter as a team look quite old and um, watching the old firm derby watching Celtic against Rangers it, it was a similar sort of dynamic where you just had a team playing you know Joe listens to podcasts at like 1.5 speed um, that's kind of how it felt AC Milan played this match Indeed uh, Milan uh, they're at Salzburg uh, on Tuesday night in the Champions League they've got <clears throat> excuse me Dynamo Zagreb and Chelsea in their group looks like they'll probably get out of that group and maybe make a little run in Europe as well this season. We shall see. Let's take a look around the rest of Italy. Napoli, Taylor, regained top spot uh, on Saturday. They are above Milan in second place with a 2-1 win at Lazio. Once again, Mr. Kavica Kavarchkelia with a decisive effort in this one. So, Ryan, I'm going to save you there. He put out a video, I think, a couple of weeks ago saying, people can call me Kavara which is a lot easier than... So he said it's okay to call him Kavara, so you don't have to uh, hurt yourself trying that again. Thank you, Graham, for the public service announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Tate, you see this one? Uh, Yes, and I once again uh, continue to continue to enjoy what Napoli are doing. I very much enjoy Kvaradana. I did not enjoy uh, coming to the document for today to see that Graham thinks that Napoli are better than he thought they would be or some such nonsense. Grant, I've been saying this for weeks now. Where you been? <laughs> I just needed to see it for myself, Taylor. Like so as we covered, I, like I think, it. last week, I, I missed, I might have missed Napoli last weekend because I was at the pub. Um, so I didn't go to the pub this weekend. I turned down those invitations and I said, no, I'm going to watch Napoli to see what Taylor's talking about. And they were good. So I'm on board with this train of thought now. Excuses yeah. are like rap careers, Graham. Everybody's got one. <laughs> How did you find out by my rap career, Taylor? <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> All right, uh, I've got a few Wait, friends here. I actually feel like there's a chance that's real. Ryan, is there a video or recording of you rapping somewhere? 
Yet to go find it. <laughs> There's your challenge. <laughs> Meanwhile, Roma have to try and find some points somewhere, Graham. They lost 4-0 uh, against Udinese on Sunday night. Uh, they could have gone top, but they did certainly not do that. That's not grammatic, but hey. Um, Jose Mourinho saying, I prefer losing one match 4-0 than four matches 1-0, which is a good breakdown of the, how the math of these things work, Graham. <laughs> yes, I mean, I feel like that's stating the obvious yeah. from Mr. Mourinho. But I decided to watch this match on Sunday night because I thought we might see Roma plant a flag in the sand. They'd started the season well. And as you say, a win would have put them top of Serie A and really supercharged this narrative that Mourinho has built a team capable of winning the Scudetto this season. I didn't get any of that. Instead, I got an emphatic Udinese win. Udinese scored after just a few minutes when Karsdok makes a, a big mistake trying to chess back to Patricio and and the... Uh, and, uh, Destiny, who is actually on loan from Spurs, so you could say that was destiny for Mourinho to get dunked upon by a Spurs player, but it got worse and worse for Roma from that point, and this was an absolute shocker from their point of view, but Udinese were very impressive. Indeedy. Let's head to Spain then, Graham. Barcelona 3. Oh, sorry, Seville nil. Barcelona 3, I should say. Rafinha and Robert Lewandowski with a couple of the goals here. Uh, Lewandowski's Goal for 2-0. The takedown and volley was very nice, if you haven't seen it, listener. And Eric Garcia, formerly of Manchester City fame, getting uh, a goal on this one as well. Barcelona moving up to second. Um, Joe was uh, yeah. <laughs> talking about this Barcelona performance in our Slack channel with their 3.59 expected goals, Graham. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It's a shame that Joe isn't on the show this week because uh, I think he's basically a Barcelona socio at this yep. point, <laughs> such as the enjoyment he's getting out of this team at the moment. And there, and there's no denying when they, they play like this, they are fun. Lewandowski has has given them such a an apex at number nine, something that they've not had for a long while. Rafinha settled in well. He grabs his, uh, his first Barcelona goal. Gavi was sensational. Kunde settled in at right back. He played well, and there's plenty for Xavi to be uh, to be happy about. But not so much to encourage Lopetegui, though. He's he's under real pressure at the moment. Sevilla still looking for their first La Liga win of the season. Their summer business doesn't look great at this moment, and there were some whistles throughout this match, which shows the fans are are starting to turn against the team. And he needs Lopetegui needs something to to change pretty soon. Graham, did you see who they were linked with today? I didn't. Pochettino. Ooh, <laughs> oh, yeah. that would be interesting, certainly. Let's let's just have it be Diego Costa, always the person that everybody's linked with. Like yeah, that. I'm also on board with Diego Costa as Sevilla manager. Let's yep. make that happen. Yep. <laughs> Gattuso and Costa as managers in the same league. Oh. Yep, sign me up. Yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, Real Madrid 2, Betis 1. Real Madrid's 100% record continues, Graham. Rodrigo with the winner here. And they're the only team in Europe's big five leagues to still have that 100% record this season they were good value for this win Vinicius scores a, a lovely lob to open the scoring the scoring that came uh, after he's played in by David Alaba who played this excellent pass in behind then Sergio Canales equalized quickly afterwards but as you say Rodrigo scores the winner in the second half after good work by Valverde down the right Rui Silva he might have done better with his save for that shot but he made an incredible save in the first half from a many header so that sort of even itself out, and Real Madrid were deserved winners. Are Real Madrid just like the most happy vibes club right now? Every story that comes out is Carlo Ancelotti talking about, like, Luka Modric and Toni Kroos are the best players ever. I don't even have to do anything. And then Luka Modric talks about how great everyone is. It just seems like everybody's having a great big love-in at Real Madrid right now. 
Yeah, Ancelotti's not even waiting for the title parade to crack open his cigar, yep. his celebrated <laughs> cigar. He's just uh, having it on the bench now during matches. Oh, He's wearing the Melania Trump, I don't even care, do you, jacket. That's how little, <laughs> that's how little enthusiasm he has anymore. What a man, what a man. Uh, Real Madrid, uh, Real Sociedad won, excuse me, Atletico Madrid won. Uh, VAR ruling out a second goal, potential winner for Avara Morata in this one. Umar Sadiq with the equaliser on his debut, Graham, your favourite player, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything against Umar Sadiq, but he was on loan at Rangers for a period a few years ago, and honestly, people still talk about how bad he was. Rangers cut short his loan deal from Roma because he was one of the worst players that we've ever seen in Scottish football and the fact that he's now a 20 million euro signing for Real Sostad and seems to be scoring for fun in Spain just boggles the mind but <laughs> fair fair play to him he's clearly improved since then indeed uh, Valencia 5 Hatafe 1 England's Yunus Musa in good form here Graham <laughs> um, I would like to reclaim Eunice Musa for the team that's going to beat England at the 2022 yes. World Cup. That's right, I'm starting the smack talk early. You don't need to ask where my allegiances lie when it comes to that match. Yeah, he was very good in this match. He certainly turned it on. Um, and as Joe predicted, this would happen with Gattuso using Musa in central midfield. Valencia fans are, are seeing what USMNT fans have seen from Musa for, for some time. His assist for the, the second Valencia goal in particular was this lovely chip over the top for the, for the finish. And he was, he was just a driving force to the centre of the midfield for the full game. And if Musa has indeed added a final ball to his play, then that is a that is a big deal. And you've got a lot of people out there predicting that Musa might be one of the breakthrough or the breakout stars of the of the World Cup this I'm, winter on this form. I'm just quietly chanting, one of us, one of us <laughs> over here as Graham Ruffin talks about Yunus Musa playing for the United States. In your face, Ryan Bailey. My yeah, allegiance is a split too, Tay-Tay. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> you can tell by the way you introduced him by saying England's Yunus Musa that your allegiances are truly split. I didn't say what proportion they were split in, but they're split. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'm going to whip through uh, a few other leagues to give Graham a little time to talk about the old firm. Bundesliga action. Union Berlin won, Bayern Munich won. The second 1-1 uh, draw for Bayern in as many weeks. They head to the San Siro to face Inter midweek. So interestingly, Mainz won, Gladbach nil as well. Gladbach, uh, uh, they had a man sent off in this one and they had their unbeaten run ended here. Uh, over in the Uber Eats League. Uh, sorry, I didn't have much more to say about that. No, one. I just I was just laughing at like, no, that is the correct way to talk about Gladbach. And I think Leipzig this season of Gladbach. Uh anyway, moving on. Like, yeah, right now that's uh that's good work by you, Ryan. We we should probably mention that I think our big thing episode about why if the Bundesliga has a Bayern Munich problem may have may have broken yep. or fixed what depending on which way you look at it the Bundesliga because at the moment I think Bayern Munich are third they've dropped points in back-to-back -back matches since we did that episode and I think Freiburg are sitting top of the yes, Bundesliga so you don't see that very often you I think don't. we should play into this one because we talk about how great Arsenal are and they lose we talk about uh, Bayern's dominance <laughs> and Bayern let teams back in I'm not sure if Chelsea have done anything since we recorded that episode but clearly with great power comes great responsibility we have to use this wisely <laughs> next episode is about how England will win the World Cup 
being, I'm being bullied, listener, on this episode. I'd like it to stop. Uh, League R will go there. PSG are back on top. Thank goodness for that. A 3-0 win over Nantes for PSG in this one. Uh, the highlight of my weekend, Graham, was Trois 1, Stad Ren 1. Uh, Trois do have the American defender, Eric Palm Brown, of course, but my highlight being, I don't know if you saw this, the hot tub by the corner flag oh, I did see at this. the Trois Stadium, <laughs> which I think every stadium should have on all four corners. Agreed? Yes. Agreed. I think they should have a hot tub, a sauna, um, just showers. I don't know. Just general swimming pool features, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This is turning into a swim team meet. Yes, yep. uh, very good. <laughs> Let's go to MLS real quick. Philadelphia to stop the t- still top of the East, excuse me, after 2-0 win. And Red Bulls, um, the Red Bulls drew Yearwood, drawing a red card for kicking a ball straight into a fan's face. Taylor, this seems to happen to the Red Bulls <laughs> on relatively frequent yeah. occasions. Yeah, Ka- Why Kaku, does this keep Kaku did it previously. I guess you you got to take your Rager Hall out somehow, and, and that's how you do it. No, I, I think both times it was it was theoretically an accident. This time it gets even more awkward when... Was it the kid who was hit refused the uh, conciliatory gesture? No, like a brother okay. or a friend yeah. or something like that. Yeah, But I think but it, the shot also hit two different people with with one strike, so... Uh, yeah, I guess two people to apologize for. We would assume there will be a ban for that one. But it does seem like it happens more often in Major League Soccer than elsewhere, and I'm not quite sure what to make of that one without ragging on the uh, the technical ability of players to hit the advertising boards <laughs> as, a board to, as opposed to the fans in the stands. Well, if you didn't feel bad enough that he just struck a fan in the face, the yeah. getting refused an apology as well must have compounded it, it somewhat. I, like, I, I can't watch like Nathan For You episodes in one sitting because deliberately awkward and uncomfortable moments make me look away. Like, I have to immediately break eye contact in those situations or break screen contact. This was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is getting painfully uncomfortable as he was trying to make it up. And then he gets the scarf thrown into his face, kind of head situation. I don't know what that was about either. Either way, it made me uncomfortable. You don't mind awkward and uncomfortable, yet we're still friends. That's quite... um... Quite good. Well done. All right. And there's another awkward moment. In the West, LAFC. Workplace Proximity Associates, Ryan Bailey. (laughs) Workplace Proximity Associates. Not even casual acquaintances? (laughs) We're buddies. We're pals. We're friends. LAFC with a 2-0 win to keep the top over Real Salt Lake. Nashville are in fourth with a 3-0 home win over Austin. And another interesting moment from the weekend uh, in LA Galaxy 2 Sporting KC 2. Chicharito on for a hat trick with a penalty in the 98th minute. Terrible Penenka comes out and uh, does not get the hat trick and fairly p- potential beep repercussions for the LA Galaxy's playoff hopes in that one. Uh, Graham Rutherford, I hand the floor to you to talk about the old firm derby last but not least. Celtic for Glasgow Rangers nil. How'd it go? Yeah, this was a good day for Celtic and not a good day for Rangers, as the scoreline suggests. This is this is a seriously good Celtic team they have they have so many exciting young players and they play this lightning quick attacking game that I really hope people get to see in the Champions League this is also a good Rangers team but they they just couldn't handle the speed and intensity of 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 Celtic's game and it was pretty brutal watching from Rangers point of view and there was there was a point in this match when it seemed like Celtic would really rack up the goals but 4-0 was still a thumping in terms of the American involvement in this match Malik Tillman was probably the poorest I've seen him for Rangers he was just too timid and I've seen that look before from players who maybe aren't used to what the old firm derby is like but actually more importantly than that I, I think he was just kind of shell-shocked by the high pressing from from Celtic and the lack of time that he had 
on the ball and James Sands I have to say was also very poor he he lost his man for one of the goals and looked vulnerable pretty much throughout the whole match and this was poorly timed as Greg Berhalter was in town to watch this match in person and Berhalter actually made some pretty big headlines here in Scotland because after the match he got Sands, Tillman and CCV who obviously was playing for Celtic together for a meal and people obviously spotted them and that didn't go down well with Rangers fans who had just watched two of those players um, play pretty poorly in a 4-0 defeat to your fiercest rivals but CCV can he can be pleased with how he played he was solid decent on the ball pretty much what you expect from him by now but maybe Berhalter should have just maybe booked yeah. a private dining room or got a takeaway to his hotel room and not put the three players yeah, it, through that it looked like a hotel lobby it didn't even yeah, look like did. a nice place <laughs> oh no it is it is a nice place so it's the Blytheswood Square Hotel oh. which is what Celtic use and it's like a um, it's a Kempton hotel which I think is like a chain of luxury hotels so it is a five star hotel right. but nonetheless I know for a fact that around that part of the city there are private dining rooms that you can you can hire and it shouldn't it shouldn't be an issue I don't think uh, it proves anything about those players the lack of commitment or the, obviously they care about losing 4-0 in a big game but nonetheless you you could have predicted that there would be headlines in the sun about uh, Rangers players having dinner with Celtic players after losing Graham yeah. Just out of curiosity, is the cover like has it been? Is the coverage that Berhalter was there like? Is, is it more of a like, can you believe these guys are eating together after they lost, or is it sort of can you believe that they met with their national team manager after manager after so losing? So the thing is, and this is going to sound like I'm making a joke. I'm 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 not. I mean this seriously. Um, most people in Scottish football don't know who Berhalter yeah. is. So you look at that picture, and it's not immediately clear that they're meeting with their national team manager. Yeah. So I think that the reflex reaction is, oh, here's the American players from Rangers eating with Carter Vickers after losing a four 0 game. Which you, I, again, that's not the reaction I would have. These people need to go out and live their live their lives and eat and have friends and such like. But. I can, under, I can understand why some fans would react that way. But I think once you have the context of Berhalter was in town yeah. and he wanted to meet with these players, then it's understandable. And also, it's not like he had the opportunity to meet with them at the ground. So the context there is that Rangers get a police escort in and out of the stadium for away old firm games. It's the same with Celtic when they play at Ibrox. So it's not like Berhalter could have met them in a hospitality suite because the Rangers players get ushered in very quickly and they get ushered out very quickly. So yeah. this was kind of the the only opportunity I guess he had to to meet them. Yeah, I think I phrased that poorly, but that was my question was like, is it being covered as, can you believe these players are eating dinner together and kind of omitting entirely that Greg Berhalter was involved? Because that does then make sense how people would get so sort of frustrated by that versus I can't imagine if you had Italian players like hanging out with their, is Mancini still the manager? That was a bad example to go with. I was going to say, if you had like Italian players hanging out with Mancini after the Milan Derby, I don't know how much consternation there would be about that I don't one. Think, but maybe um, the, Taylor, I don't think Italy have a national team anymore. They disbanded. <laughs> I, teed you up. I teed you up nicely for that one. Yet they're still European champions. Not in my heart, Graham. Not in my heart. I still in the very spot where it all went wrong. But yeah, this is outrageous, frankly, Graham. T- players from opposing teams should not dine together apart from in designated international windows, in which point they can dine together every day. Yeah, or in Nando's. That's acceptable. That seems to be the what the one place where you can go and footballers can just be footballers. Yeah, Nando's is Switzerland. I like that. Very good. All right, that's our weekend review wrapped up. Graham Ruthman, thank you very much. One day I'd like to hear more about why you know so much about private dining rooms in Glasgow, but thank you for now. <laughs> thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always, bud. I am now obsessed with that question and want to know more.
Yes, <laughs> tune in to TSS After Dark, listener, if we ever launch that, to hear more on that one. But for now, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! We'll be right back.